Killer man, so I can't wait to learn all about the new band and uh, get your opinion on a couple things and talk a little bass guitar and maybe look in the rear view mirror a little bit. But uh, I guess we got to start out with the here and now and Blitzkrieg. And I guess the one good thing to come out of this pandemic, right? A new band. The one silver lining to this cloud that was uh, the disaster of 2020. <laughs> we never would have had the time to put this project together because we would have all been, you know, tied up in our other projects playing and doing other things. And it just so happened that the world came to an end and uh, planets aligned and, and we decided to just get together and have a little fun and a little fun turned into a full length album. And, uh, and I couldn't be happier with it. Who made the first phone call? Was it Todd to you or how did the ball get rolling on this thing? Well, I'll tell you, it was Todd had already been talking with Donald for, I don't know, probably the better part of a year. And, uh, you know, Matt and I were not really in the conversation. And uh, what happened was somebody shared, I don't know if it was Todd shared with me or somebody shared a video of Matt playing drums when we were in Tantric. It was like a, a side view of Matt's kit. And it was just, you know, Matt Tall being Matt Tall. And it was amazing. and It was awesome. You know, it kind of lit the fire under me thinking, you know, it would really suck if nobody got to see Matt play again. <laughs> you know, because Matt really hadn't been playing. He's just been kind of, you know, doing his own thing and uh, he hasn't really been playing very much. So that lit a fire under me and Todd and I started talking. It was like we ended up talking to Matt and things just, like I said, it was a very low pressure situation. It was just, hey, let's get together in the studio and just hang out and have a couple of drinks and, and see if we can write a song and see what happens. And it was really just for fun. It wound up being something really special. It's amazing how quickly donald kind of fit into the fold obviously the three of you are in lock and step and key but uh, donald kind of folding in immediately how long had you known him or did you just meet him yeah i did not know him at all uh, i met him wow. for the first time when we sat down uh for our first sort of unofficial writing session we went down to nashville uh todd's got a studio down there and the night before we were going to actually get going to the studio we were just kind of hanging out having a couple of drinks and I, it's a weird thing, but it, it was like I'd known him my whole life. Really crazy thing. There's instant chemistry personally and musically between the three of us and Donald, and it just flowed like water, man. <laughs> was there anything that, that uh, was specific for you coming into a new band? And obviously, having been through some singers over the years, was there anything that you specifically were looking for for out of a singer or for out of Donald, I guess? Or, or anything that, uh, I don't know, any anything that you were looking for, whether it was personality or voice or behavior or whatever it may be was there any sort of checklist you had for a singer in your mind an unofficial checklist but it, it wasn't anything that i would say i i was aware of on a conscious level I, subconsciously i've been through a lot in the music business and and singers uh it's not just my experience but i think everybody's experiences as singers can be a little bit of a challenge i went into it uh carrying my own personal baggage uh, from my own history but really, as far as what I was looking for, number one, I was looking for somebody that can sing. And let me tell you, Donald can sing. Oh, yeah. Um, he's got an incredible voice. He has this amazing sense of melody. We would be just some simple guitar riff, and, and all of a sudden he would come up with a melody. No lyrics or anything, just the melody off the bat. And I'd be like, 
oh, there's a song, you know, <laughs> like he's got this magical sense about him. So, yeah, I don't think I was consciously aware of, of uh, I'm not that much of a nerd to actually have a, you know, a clipboard and a checklist. <laughs> right. uh, it was aware, as anybody should be, if you're getting involved in a, in a project, you want to you want to sort of know what you're getting into. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised all the way around with Donald. He's a, he's a great dude and very, very talented guy. Kind of sounds like whatever checklist or things you were worried about or thinking about kind of all went away that first night when you were hanging out with them, even before you got in the studio with them. The first night we were together, yeah, it was just, hey, let's hang out. We'll have a couple of drinks. We'll tell some old war stories and we'll, you know, get to know each other. That first night, we definitely clicked on a personal level. And till the end of time, he's, he's my brother. Uh, no matter what happens from here on out, personally, we're good. And so the big question was, the next day when we get in the studio, is anything going to click, you know, musically? And I'm just very grateful that it did. Yeah, absolutely. The album sounds amazing and not necessarily a concept album, but a little bit of a a, a stream of, of consciousness or a, a thought running through it, I guess. Yeah, I would say there's a there's a through line. The album takes you from point A to point B. I hope that it's an enjoyable journey along the way. You 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 sort of begin the album at one point, and I I don't want to give too much away, but it, you know it, you end in a very nice spot. It's definitely not a concept album. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's not it's not Dark Side of the Moon. It's not Operation Mindcrime. That's what I was going to say. It's Operation. nothing like that. But it's a uh, it, it there's a there's a theme. That is maybe not obvious to the casual listener, but as you get into the album and and once you've, well, when you've written it like we did and, and when you've listened to it as much as we have, certain things become very apparent and you really understand that, that it is intended uh, as sort of an adventure or a journey. As it should be, man. I love it in this day and age where it's like seems to be much more of a, a singles-driven market. I love bands like yourself making albums and putting thought into it and taking us listeners on a journey. That's so important. It's it's almost a lost art form in this day and age. The biggest battle is the the battle of the short attention span. Yeah, and I suffer from it myself. Our entire culture has shifted a little bit, and and it's tough for me to sit and listen to a whole album. I'm ashamed to say that because I grew up <laughs> with all these great albums, you know, uh, like I was just saying, you know, Operation Mindcrime and, and uh, Justice for All and like all of these amazing albums from when I was younger. And now when I'm experiencing new music, man, rarely do I sit and listen to an entire album. And it's almost like I have to force myself to do it. I do. I force myself to take that sort of the long form journey of really experiencing an album the way it was intended to be. But it's almost like you got to schedule it. You know, <laughs> everybody's so busy these days that you, you have to make time on your calendar to, to be able to appreciate music in its all its fullness, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I got to, you know, carve out album listening time like well, working out, you know, work out and listen to an album at the same time or go for a drive or definitely a, a challenge in this day and age, like you said, with the attention span. Curious if, if there's a, uh, a favorite song for you or a favorite moment on this album. Is there one that really stands out to you that you're really proud of? Let me just preface this by saying that it's almost impossible for me to pick a favorite. Because every time I think I have a favorite, I listen to the album again, and it's like, oh, okay, no, this one's my favorite now. It really is just depending on where my mood and where my head is at. And we haven't really released the track listing yet to the public, so I'm going to say this song title, and of course nobody's going to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but there's a song called Des Destination Unknown, which is a very powerful sort of magical piece uh, in my mind. 
it really has a lot of weight to it. So at this point, I'm going to say probably Destination Unknown. That's really where I'm leaning as far as a favorite track at this moment. Yeah, I like that song as well. One of the the longer songs on the album, like halfway through the album, but a, a, a great tune on the album. There's so many great songs on this album. Have you guys snuck in a live show anywhere or, or no live shows at this point, right? Just everything in the studio? Yeah, no live shows at all at this point. Nothing on the schedule in the future, but that doesn't mean that it, that, that we won't put something together. Uh, to be quite honest, as I alluded to earlier, you know, the, the four of us, we each have our sort of own individual things going on. And as an added sort of obstacle to uh, doing uh, things like shows, if you're going to do a show, you really need to do some rehearsals. And we've got Donald's living in Texas and Todd's living in Tennessee and Matt and I live in Indiana and there's a lot of ground to cover if we want to get together and rehearse. So I think that eventually we will refine a plan and try to make some shows happen. But at this point, really, we're just focusing on, since nobody can play shows anyway, getting the album out there, getting the music to the people. And that's really where our focus is. Have you guys talked about doing maybe a live stream since that seems to be the thing to do nowadays, especially with people releasing albums? They tend to do a live stream that weekend as the album release party, kind of? Yeah, it's something that we've discussed. You know, I think it boils down to uh, our own personal availability and the fact that there's there's so much ground to cover to get us together. Uh, there's so much footwork uh, to try to make something like that happen. I, we don't have anything like that on the schedule, but it has. it is something we've discussed, and it's, it's a possibility at some point. Cool. I would love to see it and hear these tunes live and uh, wanted to uh, certainly look a little bit in the in the past in, in the rear view mirror and talk about the, the other bands. Most importantly, because I do a little uh, mandatory Metallica feature and to have an opportunity to talk to somebody who went on tour with Metallica, I'm Jones and begging for some stories or one particular night or any look back on that Metallica tour. In the summer of 1998, we did 42 shows opening up for Metallica, and I watched Metallica 42 times. <laughs> when we were growing up, Metallica was basically our religion. We just worshipped them, for lack of a better term. We loved that stuff, and when we got the opportunity to go tour with them, I don't even know how to describe it to us. It was unbelievable. As far as stories go, I don't want to get uh, too in deep on anything specific, but I, I will tell you that Lars, specifically, was a super great guy and went out of his way to make us feel comfortable, would come to our dressing room and, and say hi to us and really made us feel welcome on the tour. He didn't have to do that. I mean, I was, I think, 19 or we were all very young and he did not owe us that at all, but he was very courteous, very thoughtful. The same for uh, Jason Newstead, who was the bassist at that point. Very nice guy. He and Todd, if I remember correctly, he and Todd used to uh, play basketball a lot. <laughs> I'll say that James... This could be hearsay. If I'm wrong on this, then I'm wrong on this, and somebody can tell me I'm wrong. But I was told, sort of unofficially while we were on the tour, that um, James was being standoffish because basically he was trying to avoid drinking. I guess had been in some sort of rehab program or something around that time and was trying to avoid alcohol. And if you wanted to avoid alcohol in 1998, you wanted to avoid days of the <laughs> It was, uh, that's all we did was just drink and fight. So... It was probably best for him to stay stay away. 
And how about Kirk, the only guy you haven't mentioned yet? Seemed like a nice enough fella. I, I, I really have nothing to say negative or positive because we didn't really see him that much. He was just kind of, we would see him in passing every once in a while. He, he seemed pleasant enough, but we didn't. Let me just say that I personally didn't have a whole lot of interaction with him. And speaking of those days of, of the new and, and back in that time, you know, looking back on it in the recording studio, did Touch, Peel, and Stand just sound like another song on the album or, or did it feel like it had a little bit magic when you were recording it? So Touch, Peel, and Stand, not many people maybe are aware of this because they're used to hearing the whatever the radio version is, the four-minute version or whatever. When, when we first wrote it, it was like an 11-minute song. Oh, wow. The chorus, the chorus part that finally found a reason, that was just one very small part that only happened one time in like that 10 or 11 minute song. We didn't really think of it as being a single, I mean, this was a long time ago. This We were literally, we're children. Sure. Uh, and we were writing this stuff. So we didn't have any frame of reference. We loved Metallica and Metallica wrote 10 minute songs. So <laughs> right. we wrote 10 minute songs. So we didn't really have any frame of reference, but the guy who produced the Days of the New Record, Scott Litt, he saw the potential in that part of the song and in other parts of the song. And he basically worked with us and said, okay, we need to make this song not 10 minutes long. It needs to be <laughs> three and a half or four minutes long or however long the song ended up being. It was a brilliant call on his part because it was uh, number one for I don't even know how many weeks. It was a huge song for us. It, it was a blessing. And then to, to strike lightning twice and then with Tantric and, and Breakdown, did that feel like a little bit more of like we're on to something here? Well, at that point, um, to be completely honest uh, and not to seem petty, but when Breakdown hit number one, to me, it felt like vindication. You know, Travis, the singer of Days of the New, he's like my little brother and I still talk to him, you know, occasionally. I got nothing but love for him now. But during that period in our lives, there was a lot of friction and there was a lot of sort of vitriol because basically he tried to take credit for everything that Days of the New ever did, which was not accurate. So when we were able to leave Days of the New, form another band, and be, I don't know if we were as successful as far as album sales go, but the fact that we were able to write another song and have another number one hit, I really felt a tremendous sense of vindication. Like I was sort of proud. Yeah, Not, that doesn't happen every day, especially with two different bands. Almost felt like a little bit talking about Metallica, like that, that Mustaine, you know, Dave Mustaine always had kind of that battle against Metallica, or so he thought during those time periods back, you know, when they were putting out the Black Album and he was putting out Countdown to Extinction and they had that kind of little rivalry going back then. Well, we all benefited from that because we get to hear great albums from both of them. Amen. <laughs> Amen on that. Jesse, appreciate all the time. Uh, one other thing I wanted to hit you with, a, a little musical game I like to play with everyone I talk to. Talk about Metallica and them being the part of the big four and that kind of encapsulating thrash metal, right? The big four with Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, and Slayer. And it got me to thinking as a radio guy and as a music nerd, like what would be the next evolution of that? If that, that kind of signifies the 80s, let's signify the 90s for rock and for what I lovingly call the Flannel Five. So I'm curious who your numero uno out of the Flannel Five would be, even though I have a pretty good guess, but I'm talking out of Nirvana, Pearl Jam, STP, AIC, or Soundgarden. Okay, so if these are the only five options you're giving me. And you got to pick one of those five. Well, it's going to be Alice in Chains. That's what I thought. But can I can I put a caveat on here? Soundgarden? Of those five, yes, Soundgarden would be a very close second. But my favorite record 
to come out during that time period is the Temple of the Dog record. Ah, yeah. So, and that had, of course, members from Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. And I mean, really, some of the best songwriting of the entire decade, I feel, is on that record. It has so much soul, such a beautifully written and and performed record. I'm picking Alice in Chains because that's those are the five that you gave me. And of course, Alice in Chains, you, you know, Jar Flies and and sap everything they did especially those first you know four five six albums it's just mind-blowing what they were able to accomplish you know yeah i mean they i think for them out of the bunch they're my favorite and i don't know if it's like the the dark and grungy guitars and then those melting butter like harmonies that uh lane and, and jerry would do is just so cool like such a cool mix of like these dark and angry riffs and then these soaring melodies it was such a killer collaboration and they've been able to keep it going now with William Duvall and I love what he's brought into the band and an extra guitar and making things a little sludgier and they really kind of kept the ball rolling yeah the world doesn't deserve Jerry Cantrell um (laughs) we really lucked out I know obviously nobody can replace Lane but really they've put something together which uh and I got to see uh the new lineup I guess it was a couple of years ago. They were close to me here, and I, w- I got to go see them. It's just fantastic. The track record that that band has and the fact that they've been able to sort of keep that project moving for all these years and still create great music. I'm envious, and I'm, I'm happy for them, and I'm happy for me that I get to hear it, you know? We, the listeners, get to benefit. You want to pick a uh, Alice in Chains tune for us to play on the radio? Oh, I got to go Nutshell. Oh, yeah. It, it may be the most powerful song if you're talking about one individual song it may be the most powerful song of that whole genre it's so beautiful but it's also like soul crushing man it's just you can hear the the darkness that's underneath of it but it's it's beautiful love it jesse i appreciate all the time last uh Last couple of things I had for you. I was uh, stalking your Instagram like a good interviewer does. And I loved the thing that you posted about uh, bass player advice. I'm a, I'm a guy that's hoping to pick up the bass guitar one day, but I was hoping you could kind of verbalize what you posted on Instagram about advice for young bass players. Well, let me see if I can pull that up from my hard drive here. <laughs> I've given this advice a few times. Number one is find yourself a good drummer. There is no good bass player without a good drummer. They just don't exist. As a matter of fact, there's no band without a good drummer. You take bass player out of the equation. The drummer is the heart of everything that takes place. And if the drummer is not good and solid, you're wasting your time. So, But I tell, I tell bass players if they are practicing alone to practice with the lights out, so that they're not relying on their eyes for their fingers to be able to do their job correctly. And I tell them that if they're playing with the drummer, watch the drummer. If you don't need your eyes to watch your fingers, then your eyes are freed up to watch the drummer. You will find a sweet spot and an amazing uh, chemistry uh, with your drummer. And there's this real symbiotic thing that happens here that, uh, you know, I've been able to experience. I've played in my life with two amazing drummers. It's made me a, a better bass player than taking lessons from any bass player could have because it makes me focus on my job of holding down and being half of that rhythm section. I, I think that those are the important things if you're going to be a bass player. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much for the time and uh, the great music. And God, I hope we get to see this on tour one day. It'd be excellent. We'll definitely be uh, keeping everybody updated. And uh, if, if we do, hopefully we can get out to California and see you. That'd be rad. Jesse, thank you so much for the time, man. Appreciate it. And best of luck with the new album. Thank you, brother. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. 
Dude, you absolutely rock. Thank you so much for checking out the entire interview. Now just hit subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast, Radioactive Mike Z. My interviews in their entirety. Available on all the major platforms. Tune in, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you're listening to right now. Just hit the subscribe button. Make sure to give me a follow on the socials as well. I'll follow you back at MikeZ967. And bro, don't miss the radio show. Now 10 p.m to midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks in the Southern California Inland Empire area, Riverside, San Bernardino County. Always streaming online at kcalfm.com. You, my friend, absolutely rock.